trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. If you're a longtime wrong thinker, welcome back. Pull up a chair. Take off your shoes. Come on, we're friends. A little foot odor isn't going to hurt anybody. Hey, if you're new to the show, welcome. Thanks for being curious enough to go ahead and click play or to uh, tune in to one of the various networks that carry us on live stream or to uh, catch the radio rebroadcast of my show on uh, KDXU or on KYAH in uh, my home state of Utah. I'm very grateful that you're part of my audience, and I'm going to do my very best to make it worth your while. So just by a quick way of introduction, my goal here is not to make you fearful. It's not to make you angry. It's not to, uh, you know, send out the dog whistle of, all right, everybody, we're, we're ginning up a mob here, and this is who you need to be angry about, or this is where you need to direct your, your outrage. There's plenty of that going on. I'm, I'm not going to contribute to that. What I would like to do is take a close look, a clear, independently thought-driven look at what's going on around us, see it for what it is, big as life, twice as ugly, and then focus on what you and I can do within our respective spheres of influence. Because whether you believe it or not, you have influence. You have the ability to shift the world in a positive direction. But that kind of uh, influence only comes into play when you're more concerned about who you are, what you stand for, as opposed to simply being against something. That's the easy way out. That's the, that's the cheap gutter version of virtue. Well, I'm against this. Well, I'm against that. And I want you to notice, a lot of times what people are against are things that nobody is really out there advocating for. I am against slavery. Well, that is fantastic. You are a courageous soul considering that 150 years ago, slavery was solved, at least here in in America, and it was solved by other people. But hey, good for you for being against something that is so brave and so controversial. Well, I'm also against racism and sexism and all the various other isms. And again, show me someone who's out there stumping for this publicly, and you might find one or two kooks, but there's nothing mainstream or widely accepted about uh, slavery, racism, sexism, blah, blah, blah. But there's plenty of people who are out there just virtue signaling to their heart's content. Oh, well, I'm against this and I'm against that. And look, I know it sounds like, well, you're kind of condemning him, aren't you, Brian? I'm suggesting that their efforts would bear greater fruit if they actually stood for something instead of simply being against something. Here's why. Politicians are notorious for standing up and being against something. I think one of the latest uh, crusades, if you will, is, uh, well, I am against gun violence. And what's the implication there? That anybody who doesn't march in lockstep with that politician, who doesn't embrace whatever, you know, gun control scheme they're trying to foist on the public is somehow for gun violence? Oh, yeah, it's a good thing. (laughs) Why, Cousin Billy just got shot the other day and the whole family threw a party. Well, actually, it was a wake, but, you know, you get the point. No. If you want to be a person who is exerting positive influence in the world, you've got to be the kind of person who is willing to do the heavy lifting involved in being a good person. 
I know. That's that's not quite as easy on the ears as simply, you know, chanting in unison and shaking your fist in the air about everything you're against. And some people take it much further to the point where they are so against something and so filled with moral certainty that they are right, just like the Jacobins of the French Revolution. There's no sense for there's no need for morality. They don't right and wrong. That doesn't apply. Of course we're right. If we have to chop off a few heads, or at least in, in our case, burn down a few businesses, beat people in the streets, well, you know, that's the price we have to pay for getting the message out there. I'm suggesting there is a better way. And if you've been searching for a better way, pull up a chair, because I think you're going to enjoy where we're going today. So among the different things we're going to be talking about, we'll talk about teaching history Without identity politics, it's essential that you understand history. You can't really make sense of where you are until you understand how did we get here. And that doesn't mean you need a PhD. It just means you've got to have some familiarity with how did we get to this point? What were the decisions that were made? Some were good, some weren't. Got to learn from it. We're going to talk about whether a student's private speech in his or her personal life should be the business of their school administrators i got a story to share with you that uh, it's, it's pretty chilling, or at least it should be, if you're paying attention. You're probably hearing some talk, too, about vaccine passports. And, uh, you know, there was a time when, when the words, papers, please, was uttered with, you know, a, a bit of contempt <clears throat> because it was pointing the finger towards totalitarian regimes, you know, a Nazi checkpoint or a, a Soviet uh, checkpoint or roadblock where people had to show their papers and, and produce an internal passport at all times, you know, on demand by people in authority. Well, believe it or not, the vaccine passport will accomplish much the same thing in terms of abolishing your personal privacy and abolishing your freedoms. And as, as some people have said, at least one L.A. Times journalist has said, this is how we're going to break down the resistance. That would be people like you and me. This is how you and I are going to be brought to kneel is through this vaccine passport. A really, really bad idea. Now, at the root of these bad ideas, whether it's identity politics or whether it's squelching free speech or whether it's vaccine passports, there is a strong thread of authoritarianism that connects them. And that's where I want to begin today. Because as, as much as I'm telling you, you know, it's more important what you stand for and less important what you're against. There's a great article from Barry Brownstein about how to be an anti-authoritarian. And, and don't get caught up on the anti part here as to, well, that means, you know, I just have to be against things. This is how to be pro whatever you need to be in light of new authoritarian measures. And Barry Brownstein, when he, when he approaches this, I'm, I'm telling you, he, he is very thoughtful. I think he takes a very well-rounded approach, but it focuses more on the individual and what you and I can do than, you know, this is the official policy we need to get everybody online and force them to do what needs to be done. That's kind of where authoritarianism comes from. But he starts with the, with the uh, acknowledgement that freedom is declining in America and around the world. That's an unpleasant truth. That's not something most people want to hear. I don't want to hear it, but I believe it's true. And Barry Brownstein says even more alarming is how few people oppose new authoritarian measures. Glenn Greenwald, he says, has recently sounded the alarm about ongoing attempts to curtail the First Amendment. In fact, recently Greenwald described his experience as he listened to the tyrannical goal expressed at a congressional hearing. 
Greenwald said, quote, Words cannot convey how chilling and authoritarian this all is. Watching government officials, hour after hour, demand censorship of political speech and threaten punishment for failures to obey, end quote. In the U.K., former Supreme Court Judge Jonathan Sumption has called out his government's oppressive COVID-19 policies. Quote, a society in which oppressive control of every detail of our lives is unthinkable, except when it is thought to be a good idea, is not free. It is not free while the controls are in place, and it is not free after they are lifted, because the new attitude will allow the same thing to happen again whenever there is enough public support. End quote. Now, Barry Brownstein says, underline attitude. We are only free to the extent that we understand freedom. Widespread individual authoritarian mindsets fuel authoritarian politicians. Sumption writes, quote, The Prime Minister claims to believe in liberty and to find the current measures distasteful. Actions speak louder than words. And I'm afraid that I do not believe him. He's too much of a populist to go against public sentiment. End quote. Now, Barry Brownstein says, perhaps in the last year you found yourself overcome by the seeming long odds of restoring freedom. And by the way, just as an aside here, that's I, I mentioned this yesterday on the program, but this is the single most disturbing realization that I have had as I've watched the last year unfold, particularly the parts involving you know the, the COVID response, the pandemic mandates, and so forth. And that realization is, I am living in a sea of authoritarians. Most of them are very mild-mannered people, really. I mean, they're, they're decent people to a point. But given the, uh, op- the option or the opportunity to act on authoritarian impulses, it's astonishing how many people will do that. And that's disturbing. And, and, and here's, the, here's the worst part. Not only are there a lot of people who are kind of latent authoritarians, uh, you know, willing, wanting to flex and, and exercise power and dominion over somebody else, but there's also an astonishing number of people who, for some reason, respond well to authoritarian behavior and, and being ordered around. They look for people to tell them what to do. They're waiting for someone to give them their instructions. And they believe in their hearts, and I think they believe sincerely. Well, you know, this is just temporary, and one of these days we'll be free again, just as free as before. But, of course, those in authority will tell us when that time is. Can you see how delusional that kind of thinking is? We'll be back with Barry Brownstein's piece in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you an excellent piece from Barry Brownstein on how to be an anti-authoritarian. And I'm going to mention as we dive back into this segment, our program is brought to you by fantastic sponsors like pure-light.com. These are the most amazing light bulbs you will ever see. I want you to go to their website. There's actually a link in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. These lights disinfect, they purify the air, they remove smells, odors, they kill pathogens. They do the work that a $1,000 air filtration machine would do. And it's with the flip of a light switch and with easily affordable light bulbs. 
Please don't take my word for it. Go to the go to the website. Again, the link is in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Back to Barry Brownstein's article. He says, in the Constitution of Liberty, Hayek defines freedom as the state in which a man is not subject to coercion by the arbitrary will of another or others. And Hayek defines coercion as follows, quote, Coercion occurs when one man's actions are made to serve another man's will, not for his own, but for the other's purpose. It is not the coerced that does not choose at all. It is not that the coerced does not choose at all. If that were the case, we would, should not speak of his acting. Coercion implies, however, that I still choose, but that my mind is made someone else's tool. Because the alternatives before me have been so manipulated that the conduct that the coercer wants me to choose becomes for me the least painful one. End quote. Wow. Now, Barry Brownstein says the line between authoritarianism and totalitarianism is thin. The future of liberty depends on whether individuals adopt anti-authoritarian mindsets. Cultivating mindsets that lead to a greater appreciation of individual rights and spontaneous order naturally leads to a rejection of authoritarian means and ends. And this is where it gets good. He talks about the mindset of tolerance and respect for differences. Barry Brownstein writes, In liberalism... Mises reminds us in a free society, others will act and live differently than we consider proper. Ludwig von Mises said, quote, The propensity of our contemporaries to demand authoritarian prohibition as soon as something does not please them, and their readiness to submit to such prohibitions, even when what is prohibited is quite agreeable to them, shows how deeply ingrained the spirit of servility still remains within them. It will require many long years of self-education, until the subject can turn himself into the citizen. A free man must be able to endure it when his fellow men act and live otherwise than he considers proper. He must free himself from the habit just as soon as something does not please him of calling for the police. End quote. Wow. I think everybody should read that a couple of times. Maybe ponder it and commit it to memory. Barry Brownstein says it's easy to point to cancel culture as an example of authoritarian intolerance for differences. Yet, during the pandemic, we have witnessed displays of intolerance from erstwhile champions of freedom. They supported lockdowns and disparaged those with alternative viewpoints. Even some libertarians shouted anti-vaxxer at those warning against cronyism. And he says invectives like anti-vaxxer are designed to shame and demonize those with different views and end discussion of vaccine safety issues. Yet captured regulators and crony firms shielded from liability by government cannot establish vaccine safety. In the Constitution of Liberty, Hayek is clear that progress depends on our respect for different opinions. It's only because the majority opinion will always be opposed by some that our knowledge and understanding progress. Those are Hayek's words. Barry Brownstein says, if not for different lockdown policies by states and countries, we would not have discovered that lockdowns do not stop a virus. If not for minority action, Hayek reveals the majority can be slow to learn. He says, quote, it is always from a minority acting in ways different from what the majority would prescribe that the majority in the end learns to do better, end quote. Now, in his seminal essay, The Use of Knowledge in Society, and again in The Constitution of Liberty, Hayek explains this key insight. The sum of the knowledge of all individuals exists nowhere as an integrated whole. So as a consequence, individuals are free to achieve their own ends only because others are free to explore their own. 
Hayek explains, quote, It is largely because civilization enables us constantly to profit from knowledge which we individually do not possess, and because each individual's use of his particular knowledge may serve to assist others unknown to him in achieving their ends, that men as members of civilized society can pursue their individual ends so much more successfully than they could alone. End quote. And Barry Brownstein adds to this, we deny reality when we insist authoritarians have knowledge they do not possess. This is why when, you know, the president says, we need to trust the government to protect us, <laughs> people like me roll our eyes and go, um, no thanks. No, th- because the government doesn't have the knowledge to, to decide what is best for me and what is best for you. All it has is force. Brownstein says, when we begin to grasp how little each of us knows, we can drop to our knees in awe and wonder at how progress depends upon learning and learning from and not repressing differences, which leads us to a mindset or the mindset of curiosity. With tolerance and respect for differences comes the mindset of curiosity. This is where we wonder, why do others see the world differently than I do? In his book, Curious, Psychology professor Todd Cashton reports on a study by famed psychologists Martin Seligman and Chris Peterson. Curiosity is a trait highly associated with experiencing happiness and overall life fulfillment. Cashton writes, in the absence of curiosity, people show an intolerance of uncertainty. COVID-19 created tremendous uncertainty. Without curiosity, unplanned, non-authoritarian ways to solve problems are met with intolerance. Israel Kirzner has succinctly explained why so many people ignorant of economics are primed to turn toward authoritarianism. Kirzner says, quote, To the layman untrained in economics, the market economy presents a bewildering face. It consists of numerous individuals, each intent on his own goals, giving no concern to the overall social implications of his pursuits. No central coordinating agency controls or even monitors the innumerable independent production and exchange decisions made by these countless individuals. It's no wonder that the market economy seems to be nothing but a jungle of clashing, discordant individual activities. End quote. Barry Brownstein goes on to say in his chapter, Cosmos and Taxis, in Volume 1 of Law, Legislation, and Liberty, Hayek points the curious reader in a direction they may not yet have considered. Order, and thus progress, Hayek explains, can be a spontaneous phenomenon that's not controlled by anyone or any group of people. There are orderly structures which are the product of the actions of many men, but not the result of human design. Now, for authoritarians who are not curious, what interest could they have in Hayek's ideas on spontaneous order? Instead, Brownstein says they will demand that government implement authoritarian policies, mistakenly believing, as Kirzner wrote, that regulations save people from the disastrous results of their working at cross-purposes. Kirzner wrote his essay in the 1980s when regulators were supposedly benignly equipped with necessary power, knowledge, and motivation to foster harmony. Of course, as Kirzner explains, such regulators are likely to block or distort the market's own delicate discovery process. And when things go wrong, instead of questioning assumptions... Many double down and blame the market. Now, blame, he says, is a habit of mind. When thinking turns toward blaming, it turns away from one's meaningful purpose in life. And without meaningful purpose, authoritarianism is alluring. To those who blame and eschew responsibility, Eric Hoffer explained in his seminal book, The True Believer, are attracted to the prospect of sudden and spectacular change in their conditions of life. 
Hoffer wrote of human nature, there is a tendency in us to locate the shaping forces of our existence outside ourselves. Success and favor are unavoidably related in our minds with the state of things around us. Hence it is that people with a sense of fulfillment think it a good world and would like to conserve it as it is. While the frustrated favor radical change. That kind of sounds about right for our time, too. The tendency to look for all causes outside ourselves persists even when it's clear that our state of being is the product of personal qualities such as ability, character, appearance, health, and so forth. Again, these are the words of Eric Hoffer. We'll come back to Barry Brownstein's essay in just a few moments. Please stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Our program brought to you in part today by MonticelloCollege.org. I'm giving you the web address. It's also brought to you by HSLAmmo.com by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, and of course, purelight.com, pure-light.com. You might want to visit the sponsor section of my show notes, which you'll find at thebrianhydeshow.com, and show a little bit of love for them, drop them a note, give them a phone call, tell them, hey, thanks for sponsoring Brian's show, and uh, you know, if you need their services, by all means, you should uh, probably think about doing that. So I've been sharing this article from Barry Brownstein, How to Be an Anti-Authoritarian. Yeah, it, it really struck the right note in me. And, and I love that as he's talking about personal responsibility, he's quoting Eric Hoffer and says, when we see the shaping forces of our life as somehow outside ourselves, Hoffer explains, that's when we reduce our efforts. Here's how Hoffer puts it. He says, people who see their lives as irre- irremediably spoiled cannot find a worthwhile purpose in self-advancement. The prospect of an individual career cannot stir them to a mighty effort, nor can it evoke in them faith in a single-minded dedication. They look on self-interest as something tainted and evil, something unclean and unlucky. Anything undertaken under the auspices of the self seems to them foredoomed. Nothing that has its roots and reasons in the self can be good and noble. Now, Barry Brownstein says in the past year, many supported authoritarian movements supporting lockdowns and other restrictive measures. And Hoffer offers an insight into why. Quote, their innermost craving is for a new life, a rebirth, or failing this, a chance to acquire new elements of pride, confidence, hope, a sense of purpose and worth by an identification with a holy cause. An active mass movement offers them opportunities for both. If they join the movement as full converts, they are reborn to a new life in its close-knit collective body. Or, if attracted to sympathizers, they find elements of pride, confidence, and purpose by identifying themselves with the efforts, achievements, and prospects of the movement. Now, demonstrating their identification with an authoritarian movement, people call the police against those violating masking or lockdown rules. And again, Hoffer explains why. Quote, a man is likely to mind his own business when it is worth minding. When it's not, he takes his mind off his own meaningless affairs by minding other people's business. This minding of other people's business expresses itself in gossip, snooping, and meddling, and also in feverish interest in communal, national, and racial affairs. In running away from ourselves, we either fall on our neighbor's shoulder or fly at his throat. 
end quote. Now, Barry Brownstein says, Hoffer cautions that when hope is lost, authoritarianism grows. One of the most potent attractions of a mass movement is its offering of a substitute for individual hope. No real content or comfort can ever arise in their minds but from hope. Recently, Stanford Scott Atlas reflected on his experience as a COVID-19 advisor to President Trump. His scientific recommendations were censored, his work misrepresented, he was shamed and ridiculed. Atlas reveals he was and remains stunned and almost frightened at the acquiescence of the American people to such destructive, arbitrary, and wholly unscientific rules, restrictions, and mandates. Authoritarianism will win, Atlas concludes, unless more people begin to step up in defense of freedom of thought and speech. Now, big tech is making it increasingly difficult to share alternative views, but Barry Brownstein says the battle is not lost. We can choose to be more open in face-to-face conversations arising organically with friends, family, neighbors, and colleagues. Even those in conversations, even in those conversations, rather, the intolerant will ridicule you and blame you for the troubles in the world. Yet your display of genuine curiosity will evoke curiosity in others. Out of your courage to share ideas and with a mutual mindset of curiosity, freedom can be rediscovered. And I sometimes jokingly refer to, you know, the, the, uh, the people who are, are looking for that, that alternative, looking for some different uh, vantage point from which to see things as either wrong think curious or um, I think uh, Matt Kibbe from For the People calls him the freedom curious. But suffice it to say, there are people out there who are curious. And if you have something of value, if you have principles, if you have standards that are beneficial, the way to perpetuate them, the way to help them spread and thread their way throughout society is not to force them on other people. It's simply to model the behavior and, and I think this, this essay from Barry Brownstein actually has some fantastic advice about keeping that uh, personal responsibility mindset, having curiosity, humility is a part of it. But you can actually bring people through your example to a place where they're willing to question the status quo. But I would echo what he says about, you know, be prepared. Understand that people do not like to bump up against the limits of their mental universe, and sometimes they respond um, violently. Typically, it's going to be words. They're going to call you names. They're going, to, they're going to sling labels at you and try to diminish you or call you out or otherwise embarrass you. You know, so you'll shut up. That's what they want. And it's up to people like you and me who are determined to use our influence wisely to be humble enough to take the hits, keep smiling, and keep speaking the truth, even if your voice is shaking as you do it. All right, there's a link to this article. I hope you will share it. It was originally published on the American Institute for Economic Education's website. Fantastic work from Barry Brownstein. Let's talk about the vaccine passport. This one is is becoming a, a concern for me. Because I'm, I'm hearing people discuss this not as like, well, I know this is kind of an outrageous idea. It's so matter-of-fact that it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit scary just how, how commonplace this thinking is. Well, if everybody just has a vaccine passport, you know, you just simply show it when you go to the grocery store, you show it at the movie theater, before you get on a plane, uh, before you uh, can, can get a job, you just have to show your passport. 
Do you remember a time when we used to actually make fun of, you know, the papers, please? You know, that was that was the, the joke of you're being a little bit uh, authoritarian or maybe even totalitarian. Well, J.D. Tusseel, writing for Reason.com, says, get ready to show your vaccine passport everywhere. He says, originally touted as an innovative means of reducing the reach and duration of pandemic restrictions, health passports have moved beyond speculation to reality with the recent debut of several versions of such credentials. But after a year of lockdowns, travel restrictions, and other surveillance justified on public health grounds, it's likely that rather than live up to their than live up to their liberating promise, health passports will become just another bureaucratic hurdle for people trying to go about their lives. For better or worse, though he says the new credentials look destined to become part of the COVID-19 post-COVID-19 world. The Washington Post reported over the weekend the Biden administration and private companies are working to develop a standard way of handling credentials often referred to as vaccine passports, that would allow Americans to prove they've been vaccinated against the novel coronavirus as businesses try to reopen. Now, the federal government, he says, uh, is something of a Johnny-come-lately to a phenomenon already in motion. IATA Travel Pass is a mobile application that helps travelers store and manage their verified certifications for COVID-19 tests or COVID-19 vaccines. That's according to the International Air Transport Association. By the middle of March 2021, a total of 17 airlines had signed up to trial IATA Travel Pass. Singapore Airlines was the first airline to launch a full pilot on March 15th on the Singapore-London route, followed by Cotter Airways on March 18th. Now, this Travel Pass is a leading contender among a host of competing credentials sponsored by governments and private entities and intended to demonstrate to authorities with a renewed fear of contagion that the bearer poses minimal risk. IATA's digital credential with paper alternatives available offers information on destinations testing and vaccine requirements, connects travelers with their test and vaccination certificates, and, by verifying and storing those certificates, acts as a digital passport for health purposes. IBM's blockchain-based digital health pass offers similar capabilities and is customizable for organizations that have different requirements for travel and access to facilities. The company says the solution is designed to enable organizations to verify health credentials for employees, customers, and visitors entering their site based on criteria specified by the organization. Then you have the European Union developing its own digital green certificate that will serve as proof a person has been vaccinated against COVID-19, received a negative test result, or recovered from the disease and accordingly gained immunity. The digital green certificate will be accepted in all EU member states, the European Commission promises. It will help to ensure that restrictions currently in place can be lifted in a coordinated manner. Now, we're going to come back to this in a few moments, but uh, one thing that may surprise you is these kind of credentials are not entirely unprecedented. Yeah, there, there are some things that have happened in the past that uh, make this seem like, well, maybe it's not such a bad idea. Of course, I maintain it really is a bad idea, and hopefully we'll make the case for that just the other side of these messages. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. You guys, your customer service and everything, you guys are great. And the commercials talk about it, but I don't know if it really gives it true justice. People need to know, this is maybe the most amazing product I've ever tried. It's so pure, it tastes so good, I'm just blown away by it. Balance of Nature is now offering 35% off on any new preferred order. Go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code USA. At the American Veterinary Medical Association annual convention in Washington, D.C., I spoke with Dr. John Howe, AVMA president, about One Health. One Health is really a collaboration between physicians and veterinarians or public health officials. For example, in Minnesota, our state public health veterinarian deals with zoonotic diseases, rabies, for example. Animals are sentinels for humans, and humans are sentinels for some infections in animals. There's more valuable information at AVMA. Pure Light has invented a new type of LED light bulb that makes all other light bulbs obsolete. This new type of LED bulb acts like a $1,000 air purification system, only better. Put this light bulb in, turn it on, and within minutes it starts cleaning and purifying the air and the surfaces around it. Um, I have a stinky dog, and so I put the four bulbs in within 24 hours. I could tolerate it, and then when I turned the lights on in the morning, I went back 20 minutes later nothing, no smell. The Pure Light LED light bulb performs seven functions besides providing light, including cleaning the air of all types of odors, any kind of smoke, of eliminating mold and eliminating deadly germs like salmonella, E. coli, even flesh-eating bacteria. My kids who are grown-ups say our house smells like old people house. And so I put bulbs in the hallway and my uh, kids from Florida came last week and said, man, the house smells great. See for yourself at pure-light.com. That's pure-light.com. Com. It's the next generation of light. Pounds and pounds of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Our cat mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, Dixie and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I just tried this wonderful, catalicious Dynavite for cats, and my cat has been on it for two weeks. She is not scratching anymore. She's not chewing anymore. It is just the best. I was thrilled when I heard Dynavite for cats was coming out because I would seen the changes in my dog. To introduce my cat to Dynavite, I took the advice from Dynavite and put their food on top of just a scoop in the bowl just to get them used to it because I know if I even switch one little thing, they put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your cat will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. This is the Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Thanks again for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. Please consider subscribing to the podcast. That way you can listen to it at your leisure on any one of about two dozen different podcast platforms. And you might even want to consider becoming a regular sponsor or donor. There's a link for that in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. I'm sharing with you an article from J.D. Tusil from Reason.com. Get ready to show your vaccine passport everywhere. And I understand for some people this is just not that big of a deal. Well, you know, this is the time that we live in. I'm not sure that those who are nonchalant about this are considering the broader implications of what it means to have to prove to government or prove through some government-issued document 
that uh, you are, you know, safe, you've been vaccinated, or you've had COVID and and recovered, and now you're immune. I think this sets the stage for much broader control of our lives and into more aspects of our lives than ever before. I mean, people say, well, Brian, we've got to have a driver's license. You've got to have a social security card if you want to get a job or open a bank account. Very true. I don't think those are great things either, but, you know, I understand people, oh, we want to stop fraud. We want to prevent money laundering, you know, the drug cartels and whatnot. How about to go buy groceries, though? Everybody needs to eat. And if, if your uh, admittance to the grocery store is dependent upon having your passport, if, if you, uh, your you know, vaccine passport, if you can't travel freely, I mean, are, how far are we away from having checkpoints at the state lines? Sorry, checking papers here. I mean, it's, it seems benign or it seems like it might be, you know, just an exception to, you know, only totalitarian places require internal passports and, and have checkpoints everywhere. But it looks like this is fast on its way to becoming the norm. And here's the crazy thing. J.D. Tusil points out these kind of credentials that are being recommended, they aren't entirely unprecedented. For instance, the World Health Organization's International Certificate of Vaccination or Prophylaxis or Yellow Card serves as proof of vaccination for travelers headed for places where certain diseases are common, things like yellow fever, for example. But the yellow card is just a low-tech paper document that doesn't store your health data or link to a network. It's in limited use. It applies only to travel. Pandemic-era health passports are already taking on a larger role. For instance, Governor Andrew Cuomo, according to New York State uh, last week, announced the launch of the Excelsior Pass, a free voluntary platform developed in partnership with IBM, which utilizes proven, secure technology to confirm an individual's recent negative PCR or antigen test result or proof of vaccination to help fast-track the reopening of businesses and event venues in accordance with the New York State Department of Health guidelines. That's pretty crazy. An implementation of IBM's digital health pass, the Excelsior Paths, is voluntary for both businesses setting policies and customers seeking entry. But it's easy to see how people might feel pressure to adopt the standard in order to stay in the good graces of regulators and licensing authorities. This, by the way, is how a lot of the mask mandates, which are being officially dropped, nonetheless still have plenty of businesses standing by and enforcing masks even when they're not required. Crazy, huh? All of the systems promise tight security for users, but they still need potentially sensitive information. I don't know. That just seems like they're, they're asking an awful lot. When you receive a COVID-19 vaccination or test in the state of New York, the Department of Health receives a copy of your records from your vaccine administrator, provider, or lab. This is according to New York State. Using the information you provide, Excelsior Pass searches the Department of Health's records for your COVID-19 vaccination or negative COVID-19 test results and then provides you a pass showing your name, date of birth, pass type, and pass expiration. No other information is accessed or stored. Now, IATA goes on further, assuring that TravelPass does not store any data centrally. It simply links entities that need verification, like airlines and governments, with the test or vaccination data when travelers permit. Still, says J.D. Tusil, these systems need some degree of access to sensitive health information in order to function, 
and that creates an unavoidable vulnerability. A member of Parliament last week, David Davis, last week cautioned his fellow British lawmakers concerning vaccine passport requirements, saying, if you have your health records attached to something you have to carry that has to be verified, you have created an opening into the most private data you have. It is straight away a problem and it will grow because inevitably, once we have the mechanism, it's common sense that people will try to use it for other uses and it will grow and grow. That's a guy who gets it. That's a member of parliament who gets it. And as J.D. Tusil explains, that's the next concern. Having already expanded beyond air travel to encompass access to sports and concert arenas, it's easy to see COVID-19 being only the first entry in credentials designed to be scalable. They can all be easily tweaked to record conformity with any imaginable public health requirement. Underground entrepreneurs certainly anticipate a large role for such documents. They've established a brisk business selling bogus vaccine certificates to buyers unable or unwilling to secure the real thing. Sorry, I need to make a note of that. <laughs> a year plus into the COVID-19 pandemic, J.D. Tusil writes, health passports are far too late to mitigate the damage done by lockdown, surveillance, and travel restrictions. Even so, he says they're almost guaranteed to be a part of the world to come. Now, I don't share this with you to stir up a sense of hopelessness or fear, but I do think it's important that we acknowledge what's on the horizon. I don't think denying that this is, uh, <clears throat> this is approaching, I don't think that's going to help us. And the crazy thing is it puts all of us in a position where we have some choices to make. And that's going to be the part where the rubber meets the road. Because I think we're all about to discover, you know, what is your tolerance? How far are you willing to go before you draw the line and say, okay, I can't compromise one step further. And it's not just a matter of, well, you're going to risk being unpopular. You're going to be the guy wearing a turtleneck and corduroys at a black tie affair. No, it's, it's a matter of the kind of pressure we're talking about here will be you may have to find a way to make a living, to feed yourself, to keep a roof over your head and clothes on your back outside of a do I dare say it, legitimate job. Your employer may put this kind of pressure on you. Certainly, it's not going to be easy to, uh, you know, to hold any kind of uh, official position or, you know, any kind of gainful employment if you don't have all of your credentials and your papers in order. I think we're going to see it trickle down to the point where you just won't be allowed to live freely among society. You want to get on public transportation? Show your papers. You want to buy groceries? Show your papers. How about this? You're required by law, you know, to have insurance. What if you need to show your papers, you know, for this? Now, now you can't drive. I don't know. Use your, use your imagination, because trust me, the authoritarians among us are definitely using theirs. And the goal being, you know, we've got to break them down somehow. We've got to get people, you know, to, to knuckle under. I'll just leave you with a thought here. This was uh, an article I saw. An L.A. Times journalist is saying that passports, vaccine passports, are good in the sense that they can break the resistance down. How chilling is that? Harry Littman is an L.A. Times journalist, 
And he says that uh, this is helpful. And when he says we're talking about breaking the resistance down, he's talking about breaking down the resistance um, on behalf of the Biden administration. This guy's a former U.S. attorney and district attorney, a deputy district attorney general, rather, having been appointed by Bill Clinton and now writing as a legal affairs columnist. This is what uh, Harry Littman says. Vaccine passports are a good idea. Among other things, it will single out the large, the still large contingent of people who refuse vaccines who will be foreclosed from doing a lot of things their peers can do. That should help break the resistance down. Now, that remark was in reaction to reports that the Biden administration has been working with tech companies and nonprofits to create a vaccine passport that will play a role in multiple aspects of life. I like the uh, the point here made in this article. It says, Littman's comment sounds like something an evil character in a dystopian thriller about a high-tech dictatorship would say. That, and it does. That's precisely the point. And I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I'm going to go ahead and, and just point out the obvious here. This means you and I have a decision to make. And not a particularly comfortable one, because I think for a lot of us, if, if we're really determined, I am not going to be manipulated or I'm not going to be forced into doing something that is against my self-interest. You may have to part with so-called polite society. Are you willing to step away from your job? Step away from your status? Are you willing to be ostracized, betrayed, punished? Only you can answer that question. And I wish you the best on sussing out the answer. This is The Brian Hyde Show.